Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Over the last 12 days, more than half a million cold calls have been made to random phone numbers in Russia. Those behind the calls are on a mission, a mission to let Russian people know exactly what's happening in Ukraine. We need to tell the stories, tell them like, you know, what what is happening there, like on every day, how much people are suffering, because they don't get it. Anton Krasun is one of the developers behind this ambitious Call Russia campaign. He's from Ukraine, but has lived in Ireland for the past 10 years. He works in the tech industry, and when the war broke out, Many in that industry wanted to do something to help. So it was launched by, um, by a global network of professionals like across different countries where we have compiled a database of 40 million phone numbers in Russia. And the goal of this project is to deliver like, you know, 40 million human to human conversations about what's going on in Ukraine. It's a huge task for those involved, but they're certain that the only way the war can be stopped is by arming Russian citizens with the truth. If you go to the Russian uh, news uh, outlets, when it comes to all those horrible war crimes that they're committing, there is not a single mention in, in, the, in the Russian news, you know? So, like, we're trying to, uh, to address, you know, those people and make sure that they do ask questions and, and, and do appeal to their feelings. I'm Connor Pope, and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, what Russians really know about the war and the cold-calling campaign trying to get through to them. Joanna Shostek is a lecturer in political communication at Glasgow University, and she's been monitoring the news output coming from state-run Russian media over the last few weeks. Joanna, this war has been described by the Kremlin as a special military operation in Ukraine, while at the same time, those in power in Russia are avoiding the words war, invasion or attack. Can you tell us what exactly the Russian people were told about why this conflict started? So right up until the moment the invasion was launched, there were denials, right? I mean, <laughs> the Russian leadership kept denying that there would be any kind of invasion. And then when it did happen, what they've been saying is that this is a, a special operation to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. So these words demilitarization and denazification are just everywhere in the Russian media and official discourse at the moment. Um, and it's worth trying to understand what they mean by denazification because it's pretty awful. Um, I mean, they, 
they basically seem to be presenting Ukraine as a country where, you know, a large swathe of the population is is sort of Nazi, caught up in neo-Nazi ideology. I mean, I've seen a claim on a Russian site that up to 20% of Ukrainians are, are somehow Nazi, which is absurd and ridiculous. And what do they mean by denazifying Ukraine? They basically mean trying to, you know, get rid of those people one way or another, whether that's, you know, violently killing them basically or chasing them out of their country which is why you've you've seen yeah just no sympathy at all for for the ukrainians who are who are suffering in this war in in the russian media because they're being presented as as nazis and was that the big justification then that russia gave for moving troops into the country and for starting the war Yes. I mean, they, they, they constantly present it as an operation to sort of help Donbass, right? These two um, pseudo-republics that, that, that Russia supports um, in, in the east of Ukraine. They claimed that um, the Ukrainians were preparing to attack Donbass, um, that, you know, there would have been some kind of genocide in the east. Again, nonsense, right? Pure nonsense. But this is how it's, it's presented. Um, saving Donbass, um, liberating Ukraine from Nazis. That, that's what the Russian population is hearing. And that's what they're, a lot of them, unfortunately, are buying into. And of course, since the start of the war, Russia has shut down news outlets and it's cut off access to social media channels. So just what kind of news coverage are Russian people getting from the state-run channels that are left or the newspapers that are towing the party line, so to speak? So the state-run media, which is, you know, all of the broadcast media, all of the TV channels, um, they pretty much repeat what Russian officials say, what the Russian leadership says. Um, I think for me, the biggest sort of noticeable thing about the Russian coverage is the complete absence of images of civilian suffering in Ukraine. If, if we watch our media, you know, um, in, in Europe, in the UK, in, in Ireland, probably, you know, we, we're seeing pictures of bombed out homes, we're seeing, you know, thousands upon thousands of, of Ukrainian refugees. We're seeing, you know, all these civilians losing their lives and losing their livelihoods. And, and that's just, just missing from, from the Russian state coverage, more or less. I mean, if, if they do report casualties, then they'll say, oh, it's the Ukrainians killing, killing their own people. And yeah, I mean, the, the Russian state coverage, they also, I mean, they say quite a lot about Western sanctions, um, but they always say that the sanctions will hurt the West. And is there any kind of presentation of how the resistance in the war is going, how Ukraine is resisting the conflict and resisting the invasion of the Russian troops? Pretty much anyone who resists the Russian invasion is being presented as Ukrainian nationalist, Ukrainian Nazi, even worse kind of dehumanizing language. I mean, the headlines in Russia, I've seen a headline saying that this is a fight between Russians and anti-Russians, right? And I've I've seen comments in the Russian media describing um, people in Kiev who who take up arms to defend their city, they're described as baboons. I've seen that. It's all this kind of, this language that, that presents Ukrainians who try to defend their country as as subhuman, as Nazi, as basically not worthy of any kind of sympathy um, at all. And of course, one of the more surreal images that we've seen in recent times have been all these social media influencers based in Russia saying goodbye to their followers because Instagram was shut down and other social media platforms were closed. 23 million How has the Russian media that's left explained those closures to Russian people? 
So the, the, the ban and the block on Meta on Facebook and Instagram, that's being explained as a sort of response to Russophobia at, at Meta. So I think um, Facebook took the decision that it wouldn't block people um, calling for, you know, the basically the, the death of Russian military personnel in Ukraine. And Russia has taken that and said, okay, that's Rus- Russophobic. Facebook is allowing calls for the death of Russians. Um, and therefore, yeah, these, these platforms are, are not going to be permitted in, in Russia anymore. And is it possible to get a sense of what Russian opinion is when it comes to this war? I mean, how do we research that? How do we get the information as to what the Russian man or woman or child on the street is actually thinking about the conflict? It's really hard to get an accurate picture of public opinion at the moment. Um, you know, in, in normal circumstances, you would turn to public opinion polls to try and, you know, get a sense of, you know, how many Russians support the war, how many don't. But I mean, there, there are reports um, that the, the people who, con- who conduct surveys in Russia are saying that, um, you know, the, the people they speak to aren't willing to give answers at the moment. Um, because bear in mind, you know, people who criticize the war are being presented as traitors, as, you know, foreign agents. Um, and I, I think there's a, a lot of fear in, in Russia at the moment. Um, I, I would also say, you know, I doubt there's a you know, it, it's not just a question of how many support and how many oppose. I would suspect in Russia there are an awful lot of people that don't really know what to think. You know, as as a little bit, little bits of information kind of come through via social media or whatever other channels. You know, there's there's probably going to be confusion as well, and and people just tr- trying to tune out of it. Российский премьер подчеркнул, надо усилить сотрудничество в рамках союзного государства, а на совещании в правительстве обсуждали, как. Now, one person who wasn't afraid of speaking their mind on Russian state TV was the woman who ran onto the set of a news program in recent days, holding a sign up which read, "No war, stop the war, don't believe propaganda. They are lying to you here." Now, that video or even the screenshot has been seen by millions of people all over the world. And it's a really powerful image for us. But what impact do you think it really had in Russia? And what impact do you think it might have had on the people who were watching the news bulletin at that time? So I suspect that the people who were watching Channel One at the time it happened might not have taken in really the, the meaning of, of, of what that protest was, was saying. Um, because, you know, I, I watched the video of it. It was, it was pretty quick, you know, that sh- she came on with, with a, a poster that said no war. And it was in English letters, the no war. And then there was some, some more Russian, more, more content on the poster in, in Russian beneath. But yeah, I mean, if, if you think about the fact that, um, you know, a lot of the Russians who watched, Channel One, which is, you know, the, one of the main state channels in Russia, they're, they're older people, they're people who don't really, they're not accustomed to, to looking for alternative news sources. Um, I, I doubt at the time they, they would have properly absorbed what, what, what that protest was about. But I, I think the, the fact that it happened, um, is important, um, because it's unprecedented, right? We've not seen any kind of protest like that happen on a on a Russian state TV channel before, um, so it's an imp- it's important as, as an example. You know, now that we've got that screenshot, we've seen that a, a, a Russian state journalist can speak out and be brave like that. Um, so perhaps it's an, an example to others um, who are perhaps you know feeling a, a, too scared to sp- to speak out. Um, and I suspect you know that that image of of the, that that protest on air will be doing the rounds, you know, on Telegram and in, in Russian social media and so on. Okay, so where could a Russian citizen who wants to get a different perspective on the war than the one being portrayed by the state broadcasters and state media in Russia go? 
What options do they have? I mean, I, th- I think Telegram is an important app for for a lot of Russians. It's quite popular there. Um, that the, there are there's a lot of disinformation and dodgy stuff on Telegram, but there there are still you know relatively accurate and, and sort of alternative um, sources on there as well. Um, there, there's one remaining um, sort of long established Russian newspaper, or, well online newspaper as well, called Novaya Gazeta, and they have taken the decision to kind of comply with the r- new Russian laws about how to describe the law in order to try and keep informing people. So they they will follow the rules about not calling it a war, um, but they will present still quite a different picture to, to the main state media. Um, I've seen one business paper as well as a, a business newspaper in, in Russia, broadsheet um, called Commerçant, and they kind of look like they're trying to present um, a, a bit of an alternative picture. That's one of the very few places in the Russian media that I've seen um, images of, of the civilian suffering. And can you see any other way, Joanna, of how the Great Wall of Russian propaganda might begin to crack? I think probably the biggest source of hope for that is when the full force of the economic sanctions really hits. Um, Because it's one thing for the Russian state to lie about Ukraine. You know, Russians, most of them live far away from Ukraine. They can't see for themselves what's happening. Um, But if the Russian government keeps saying, oh, our economy will be just fine, and Meanwhile, the people watching that on TV, they, they're losing their jobs. They can't find things on the shelves in shops. Um, you know, that, that will kind of, I, I think, create a crack to some degree. And it, that problem will also be compounded if more reports come through about the number of Russian lives that are being lost in Ukraine. Because I think, you know, when the West sanctioned Russia over the annexation of Crimea, Russians were like, well, we got Crimea, so we'll take the sanctions. You know, it was sort of, there was, there was an acceptance of it because the Russians were, were so kind of, yeah, they were celebrating the triumph of, of Crimea's annexation. But if this turns into, you know, a, a messy long war in which thousands of Russian soldiers are lo- losing their lives, that on top of the sanctions, I think, may start to, yeah, break down um, that sort of, um, yeah, brainwashing effect to some degree. Joanna, thank you very much for talking to us. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Coming up, will a campaign to cold call 40 million Russians make an impact? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Anton, how did the idea for the Call Russia campaign come about? Yeah, so idea like, you know, it's it's coming, you know, from from two directions. So first direction is like what can we make 
something like very impactful in order to stop this war. You know, we can, you know, help with the refugees. We can like, you know, do lots of things when it comes to humanitarian aid. But what can be really done in order to stop the war? And we believe that this war can be stopped if Putin loses support from his own people, you know, if his own people say like, you know, we didn't want this war. We want to live in like in a, in a new society. We didn't want any war with Ukraine. So this is how the idea emerged, you know, that we need to talk to those people. And it comes to the second issue, right? That people in Russia, they have very limited access to, to information. And we believe that like, you know, those human to human conversations, this is the only way to show the truth, to direct them to the right, you know, sources and explain them like, you know, what's happening uh, in Ukraine and how bad the situation is uh, up there. So you pick up the phone and someone in Russia answers how do you get them to speak to you and to engage with you? Because I would imagine like the natural instinct of anybody who answers the phone, particularly in circumstances like this, is mistrust and a desire to hang up the phone immediately. Yeah, it's it's really hard, you know. So people, you know, they have been exposed to, to this propaganda, you know, for too long. And it's not easy to have like even to have the conversation. So you need to make like, you know, a couple of attempts until you have like, you know, this meaningful chat. But once you're able to speak to someone, you know, so the message is very simple, you know, so we don't want to talk about sanctions and economics. We don't want to threaten people, you know, so we want to make like, you know, this human to human connection, speak about like the pain of war, like, you know, how ordinary people are suffering, tell like human stories, like the people dying, try to open their mind, you know, like try to ask like open um, uh, ended questions. Like, why do they believe like, you know, Putin is so afraid of another opinion? but not in a very, like, you know, threatening way, but more appealing to common things like, you know, value of life, parenting, kids, etc. Speaking about, like, you know, why, like, you know, why this war is, is needed, why civilians are suffering and, and what's happening in Ukraine. So it's very apolitical and um, we believe it's working, you know. So uh, we, we have some early stats and some early proofs that um, it's having, you know, like a good effect, you know. And what kind of stats do you have and what kind of proof do you have that it might be having an impact? Yeah, so basically, you know, like once you go to the website and you deliver the call, so the system asks you for the feedback, you know, so like, I mean, not every volunteer, they deliver the feedback, but from those who left the feedback. So we have like about like 20,000 feedbacks so far. So 22%, they did say that the call went well. 25%, they said that the call didn't go well. And the rest, you know, like they were not able to have a conversation or like there was something wrong with the number. But 22% is, you know, for, for cold calling is a very, very good metric. So this is exactly what we're aiming for, uh, to reach as many uh, open-minded people who will then like hopefully like spread this message and spread the truth among their friends, families, etc. So we want to make sure that people, they, they really understand like what's, what's happening in Ukraine and how brutal this uh, invasion is. And you yourself have made a few phone calls in which people have answered. Can you tell me a little bit about those calls, how they went, what the people you were speaking to's reaction was, and how did they respond to what you had to say? I think I made like three calls, like three successful calls. Two calls, to be honest, they didn't go well. So I was just perceived as an agent of the West, you know, spreading like, you know, propaganda and like, you know, lying. So they, I heard lots of swear words uh, about it, so they didn't want to listen. But uh, the successful call that I have made, it was kind of like, you know, encouraging because the people on the other line, they were afraid, you know, but from the conversation, they didn't try to 
to engage in the conversation a lot, but they were listening to me, you know? So I find that listening is, is, is also like, you know, very a good reaction. They were eager to, to hear what I say. And I did speak about, you know, like all the civilians that are being killed. I did speak and appeal to, to the fact that like, you know, on the other end, like, you know, the, your president and your government is saying that they are protecting the Russian speakers. But why the Russian speakers are dying in Ukraine? Like, why the maternity hospital is being bombed? Why, like, you know, poor kids are suffering? Why do they have to hide in bomb shelters, etc.? And why your government is having, like, you know, this perception that, let's say, if you say something wrong about it, you can go to jail, like, like this is this is not right like you know there is no second opinion in russia so you need to support this so i was kind of like you know addressing them as parents and and, and relatives and, and and families and uh, trying to appeal to their like human feelings universal feelings like no matter like what race religion or political beliefs uh, they're in you're not going to convince 40 million you know russians in Russia, but at least if you can successfully like explain like even to five or ten percent, this is significant numbers. Like you know, ten percent and forty million. This is four million people that uh, th- they will know the truth. Mm. I suppose one of the things that must be a feature of the conversations is fear, because we know that even protesting in the streets against the war has had thousands and thousands of people in Russia arrested. So they could be afraid that the calls are being monitored or they don't know who you are. So it must be difficult for those people to even imagine speaking freely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, like, you know, there are some severe consequences if, if you say something against the war. It's a criminal offense to protest against this uh, uh, invasion. So um, people could go to jail for up to 15 years. So, of course, people are scared. Once once we see like hundreds of thousands of people on the streets in Moscow and St. Petersburg and this collective mentality is built, then we're going to see some results. Hopefully we'll be able to stop this war. I think there's around 20,000 Russian speakers in Ireland. There might actually be more than that. What kind of response have you had from this part of the world? Yeah, so Ireland is like, you know, is, a, is an interesting market because like we do have like lots of Russian speakers coming from Russia, Ukraine, and also like lots of uh, people coming from countries like Moldova and the Baltic states. So um, the community is not big, is uh, is tiny, but it does have like lots of connections with bigger markets like UK, you know, that has like, you know, much bigger population of, of Russian speakers, etc. So the appeal is very simple, like, you know, go pick up the phone and lend a couple of successful calls. Um, into Russia. If you don't speak the language, like help us, you know, translate, you know, our message and deliver it to more, more audiences, more communities inside Ireland and outside Ireland. And there are like, you know, multiple ways to do even like, you know, retweet or, or reshare uh, of the initiative will help us a lot. You're originally from Western Ukraine, so it must be very difficult for you personally to be sitting here in Ireland watching the horror unfold. It is, it is. And I do have like lots of families and, and friends, like not just in the Western Ukraine, but like in, in cities like Kharkiv, Kiev and south of Ukraine as well. So being outside, you don't really understand like what's happening in reality. So like I'm shocked, I'm terrified, but still it's not the same as being in Ukraine and experiencing this and in, in your daily life. And you've been able to bring some of your family to Dublin, is that right? Yes, yes. So my cousin came here like with her son 
two weeks ago and then my parents were probably like one of the first ones who came into Ireland once the visas have been waived and then my mother-in-law came here like on Friday from southern Ukraine uh, with two dogs so at the moment I have like three three families you know to, to take care of uh, yeah so not easy it is tough unfortunately yeah but at least at least they're in safety so like I'm very happy that they managed to you know to escape in a good time and come here like you know Anton thank you very much for talking to us thank you thank you so much that's it for today my thanks to our guests Joanna Shostek and Anton Krasun this episode of In the News was produced by Suzanne Brennan we'll be back on Wednesday Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.